I watched uh, that Color of Purple movie with Nicholas Cage. Uh, oh, I think that was a Steven Spielberg movie. Wait, what movie did you say? Oh, sorry. Yeah, color yeah, I, I, I did say The Color of Purple. Sorry, I meant like... The Color of Money. <laughs> the Color of Scott. The, co- the Color Out of Space. The Color Out of Space. Yeah, shit. What the, the hell are you talking about, Sean? <laughs> the color, the color I, that they, I the would color love that to see. Use. What color <laughs> are you talking about? Nicolas Cage in The Color Purple. <laughs> The color that they use in that film is purple. That's why I went there, right? Like, that's what the color out of space is. But I meant to say the color out of space. So, Sean, let's just just touch base. What movie did you see? The color out of space with Nicolas Cage. The color out of space. The color out of space. And the color is purple. And the color is purple. Spoilers. Spoiler alert. Jeez, Sean. Uh, If you just go on the Netflix thumbprint or a thumbnail, (laughs) you're going to see the color purple everywhere. So it's not much of a spoiler. The movie with Whoopi Goldberg? Yeah. Yeah. The color purple. (laughs) The the thumbnail for the color out of space is an image of the color purple with Whoopi Goldberg. Right. The big twist is that this movie is a prequel to the color purple featuring Whoopi Goldberg. Well, it's both a prequel and a sequel. The following may contain harsh language, poorly communicated ideas, and does not reflect the opinions of iHeartRadio. I just get angry sometimes, and that's why I, I talk to my doctor, Dr. McGillicuddy. And he has prescribed me um, three ounces of peach schnapps every morning. So that's Dr. McGillicuddy's peach schnapps, three ounces in the morning, and it ain't, and it ain't boring. David Ketley had his last drink. It should have been ginger ale or even beer. I always thought it was uh, out of character for David to drink anything as as corrupt as whiskey. Out of character for him to be murdered, too. (laughs) Yes, wasn't it? Good Americans usually die young on on the battlefield, don't they? Well, the Davids of this world nearly occupy space, which is why he was the Thank you for listening and welcome to Take Two Plus, the only podcast on the internet currently on the side of the KKOK. That is the uh, Confederation of Cups of Oklahoma. Um, a big shout out to those boys in blue, bo- boys and girls uh, in blue, and um, transgendered people as well in blue, <sighs> crippled people, and all the um, things in between. They are the sponsors for this week, and uh, we are happy to have them because uh, normally they're the ones getting money, but uh, they're giving money to us just for a little bit of a shout-out. So the big shout-out to the KK. Okay. My name's Chris. I'm Sean. I'm Tyler. I don't have to remind uh, you guys, I don't think, that we watched this week a little-known film by Alfred Hitchcock, another one of those one-word title boys, 1948's Rope. And it's gonna get ya, the rope. So the movie involves a rope that is out of control. It's slithering through New York City and people are kind of unsure of what to do. It's, it's kind of getting in people's way. My understanding, it's actually based on a true story, so. Why don't you just uh, have Tyler introduce how the game's play? So everyone's so excited for ropes. I actually went out to buy three feet of rope and uh, I've just been playing with it all day. I'm just so excited for rope, Alfred Hitchcock. But yeah, no, it's so exciting, rope. 
<laughs> makes me feel so good. Oh my God, you're, you're so excited. You're losing composure completely, Chris. Why don't you let Tyler talk about how this is all Chris. Chris works through some things. I'll uh, understand the rules. So if you've ever played a uh, fantasy sports or played golf, you know how this works. We've each picked our top three Hitchcock films and are now discussing one of them every week to determine his best nine film ranked in order. Points are then awarded based on the final standings. First place film gets one point, second place film gets two points, etc., etc. At the end, we tally everyone's points and the lowest score wins. So you're telling me, Tyler, that if my three picks end up in places one, two, and three as like the top one, two, and three of his nine, that's a perfect score. That's that's six. That's a perfect score a, if you add it up. A perfect score of six. If you so that's what I'm. Six. That's what I'm expecting. Um, it would also be, as we reminded you last week, impossible for you at this point. <laughs> Let's just say I have a little rope for you too, Sean. So oh, I'm so sure you, you do. Commemorative ropes <laughs> for this episode. Now I'll always remember recording this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is uh, Sean's third round pick. So Sean, why don't you give us a little synopsis? The story of Rope all takes place in one location on a summer evening in New York in a New York apartment. Two young gay men, Brandon and Philip, played by John Dahl and Farley Granger, strangle a college friend to death simply for the fun of it. They then conceal his body in a chest in the very room in which the victim's parents and fiance are soon to be expected for a dinner party. Among the guests is their former college professor, Rupert, played by Jim, uh, Jimmy Stewart. As the party continues on into the night, the two young men attempt to impress their mentor and disclose bits of truth to what they have done. Rupert puts the pieces together and before the evening is over, he discovers the body and turns the two young men over to the police and possibly maybe even himself. Bring himself into the police? I think you can read that like ending. No, Sean, can talk about that later. What, what are you talking about? Party? I think you're watching Chud. There's a lot, of, like just like in Notorious, there's a lot of subtext in this movie and you can definitely tell that there's a chance. I'll tell you, I really did not go for that last little James Stewart speech. Hey, Jimmy, uh, you know, yeah, we haven't used you to your full, where's your Oscar winning moment? Like, where's your thing? And it's a little, you know what? It comes out of nowhere. It's like, so it's we're so... jumping right into the negatives, huh, Chris? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> right before we're going to jump to the end of the podcast. Well, gonna, let's, let's save it, Chris, because I, uh, I like, I, you got some good ideas. You, you, you yeah, I probably don't, I don't from really the, uh, disagree with what you're trying to say, but I think there are reasons for why they did it that way. And that I'll talk to you guys about that. When we oh, get I can't say, wait to uh, talk to you about this. Because guess where it's going. <laughs> to where you guess, just guess where uh, I'm predicting. To the top of the list. Uh, okay. Tyler. Hey, did you guys? Yes. Ask me what I'm thinking. What are you thinking, Chris? It's a vision. I I see I see numbers. I see ropes. I see number nine. I see number nine rope. Yes. Oh, so you see my prediction. The consensus rating is higher than four. Doctor Onassis uploaded a mind link. Oh, okay. Yeah, I get that. Now told me officially. This is official for everyone listening. Rope ends up at number nine on the list. That is bottom. I don't think it ends up at number nine. Quite embarrassing. Somebody else is waiting at a much higher ranking than that. We got to take some consideration to a fact. But guess what? Guess what? Before we. Before we even get into the good or the bad, did you guys see who got the credit for the adapting the screenplay and working on the treatment? Yes. You and uh, Croynan, the, the nerdy neighbor from Shadow, Shadow of a Doubt? 
Oh yeah, yeah. I remember I recognized the name and I didn't put that together. Yeah. That was the guy who was the neighbor in, in Shadow of a Doubt, huh? Yeah. The so one who uh, is trying to figure out murders, how to get away with perfect murder the whole movie. Yeah, I knew I saw his face when I was watching the special features. I'm like, I know he was just in like a movie, like two movies ago, but yeah. I Wait, so he was this he was he did the screenplay? He like came up with the treatment with Hitchcock. He got like an adapted by credit, but someone got the actual screenplay. You know what's hilarious? He was probably just one of those like cut on the like you know the cutting room floor kind of conversations where they were having yeah yeah did you hear about the one Let's give them they, credit. The two call- <laughs> well this is rope uh some timbits of information for all of the you know the, the hardcore fans um yeah um based on true story brandon and philip are clearly homosexual which is cool uh but in 1948 Quite shocking to see. It was not so cool. They referred to it as it. They were making a movie about it whenever they would talk about it behind the scenes, like the production company, the producers. I guess it was. Are we talking about the clown movie? No, they were talking about homosexuality and referring to it as it. They said that they're going to make a movie about it and it's about Pennywise. Yeah, exactly. But uh, you know, I mean, could the film? uh, I think. Like, could the film have benefited from dealing with that more head-on? Sure, but uh, it was 1948, and that was never going to happen, unfortunately. I think what they did manage to accomplish by including the theme in it in the first place, they, you know, they... Well, did you see I did you see the uh, special edition of Rope? with like a three-minute sequence with Brandon sucking Philip's dick. <laughs> uh, three-minute cock-sucking sequence was removed for the theatrical version. And uh, I think, actually, the, it, it suffers because of it. What are your thoughts, Sean? Um, I don't think it suffers from moving the dick sucking, no. I think there are some ideas that they uh, could have put into it that might have made it a little bit better. But did you guys also know that Cary Grant was originally going to go up for the Jimmy Stewart role? Well, they talked about that in the movie. And, yeah, well, yeah, there's a little in-joke in Cary Grant, which I think was because of this, because Cary turned the role down because he didn't want to be associated with homosexuality. So he, he didn't agree to do the role. Because he, he, would have, he would have had to been sucking Phillip's cock. In the, yeah, that was before. He must not have seen the updated script, obviously. Guess how much Jimmy Stewart was paid for this movie? Actually, no. $300,000 $300, he was paid for this film. And the actual budget of the film was $1.5 So in 1948, Jimmy Stewart was getting paid $300,000. And guess how long it took him to, film this film, uh, to shoot this film? 18 days. He got paid $300,000 for 18 That's days of work in 1948. 20% of the budget of the film went to Jimmy Stewart? Yeah, in 1948. Like, that's yeah. like millions of dollars, like, in today's amount of money. How many millions, John, exactly? Especially because we're dealing with U.S. currency. I have no, I have no goddamn clue exactly. But it's you a think lot you feel good walking in knowing you're making that much more than everybody else? You feel, like, awkward and, like, a dick the whole time? No, don't worry, Tyler. He has a speech that he gives, which really makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> Yeah. Was that as good as the speech that Joe McCray gives at the end of Foreign Correspondent? Yeah. That was like not tacked on at all at the end of that film and completely unnecessary. No, not at all. What do you mean? I mean that tonight you've made me ashamed of every concept I ever had of superior or inferior beings. And I thank you for that shame. Because now I know that we are each of us a separate human being, Brandon the right to live and work and think as individuals. All right, yeah, what, what have we got going uh, on with Rope, Sean? I think just to start off with, like, I think the film, oh, okay, we got it in seven minutes, okay. I'm gonna see if I can do this in seven minutes. 
All right, everyone listening at home, Sean has seven minutes to, I don't know. I think in general- an opinion on something. So we'll see if he can do it. I think in general, the film opens like exceptionally strongly with like opening media res, which is not something that Hitchcock usually does, but opening like right away with the very beginning of the murder is an exciting way to open the film. And it throws you right into it. Like, you know, your quintessential like Hitchcock film. Like the subject matter of this film is undeniably like pure Hitchcock. It's pulling off the perfect murder under the very nose of an entire room full of dinner party guests. I mean, it doesn't get more Hitchcockian than that. Uh, it's not only like, in fact, this premise, like the premise of the film, there's probably a reason why he decided to make this the first film he ever produced ever with his own name. And this was that film. It was also his first color film, actually, just to me, that's a little. Uh, and I just think that generally, like, the level of craft on display in this film is just simply astounding. Like, he's never made a more directorial, like, uh, he's never made a film that really stood out as much as a director as this film. Like, there's scenes that he does in other films that are more powerful than necessarily anything in this movie. Like, I'm thinking of, like, the shower scene in Psycho, obviously, and, like, the cornfield scene. This entire film is one huge, like, directorial sleight of hand and he pulls it off for an hour and 20 minutes. And uh, I just think that's a remarkable feat that not only had it never been done before this film, but it's hardly ever been done since because of how much work it takes and how every single person in this film, not only Alfred Hitchcock, but the actors, the crew members, everyone had to be on the top of their game to make this film work. Otherwise it would have been a complete mess. And I think this is one of his best films and one of the films that best shows off his style and how and why he is considered one of the greatest film directors of all time. With the use of digital editing, this might actually be arguably more difficult to pull off than like something trying to do it now. Like it's a lot, you can't really hide the cuts with digital effects the way you could now. Well, how, how well he was you... such a, pra he, 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 he hit them so practically by basically bumping into someone and then it creates a complete blackness where he cut, makes the cut and, then, out the whole lens and yeah. then comes back out from behind, yeah. you know, like, and, I, and, I would there some, and then there's even one actual cut to uh, the maid. But you know, there, there's some like, I don't know, pretty practical little tricks that he uses. I would disagree with Sean when it comes to um, this being one of Hitchcock's best movies. I think maybe from a directorial standpoint, there is an argument to be made, but I don't think it necessarily translates into the film being um, one of his best movies. Well, why don't we save that for when we talk about that at the end of the podcast and let's continue. Let me know, Sean, when you want me to talk about this <laughs> talk or if you want to talk about um, that. Yeah. Hey, Sean, how many that. ropes do you think they used in the movie Rope? Like, <laughs> Probably at least like five, you know? Yeah. So what else? It's like 15 so, feet of rope. So Chris, your entire like pur purpose for this no, podcast? No, 20, 25 feet of rope. And shit all say. over rope for 25 minutes to stay foreign <laughs> correspondent? Cause like, come on bud, like get on this game. There's no way you hated this movie. There's no way you didn't like anything about this movie. Like, You know what, Sean, this, this did suffer from um, rope sickness. I will say. Did you get rope burned, Chris? I got burned by the rope. <laughs> Sean knows what I'm talking about. It's hilarious, some of the, uh, the entendres, the double entendres, the one was <laughs> it Phillips choking his chicken story. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely like a homosexual undercover. Oh yeah, he's like, so you were jerking me off and you got caught? That's uh, hilarious, Philip. I kept alternating between like really liking the sort of light comedy, especially when Jimmy Stewart first comes in. And he comes in like such a playboy, like eh? felt the... Uh, but then it kind of felt out of place at other times too. I, I don't know if I liked or didn't like the comedy in it, to be honest. I like those lines that are great and there's moments that are great. 
I think at times the, the, the comedy can come off like a little bit forced, but at the same time, I think that uh, the fact that this film is just one giant scene of suspense from beginning to end, like literally, there's no break in the suspense in this film. And that's why, again, I think it's one of Hitchcock's best. Not only does it uh, have suspense in the film, unlike some other films we've done more recently, but it also does it for an extended period of time for an hour and 20 minutes. Like that's unbelievable. But I think that the comedy adds to that by breaking up like the levels of suspense and adding like, okay, I can laugh at this moment and I can feel a little bit more relaxed. But at the same time, the subtext in this film through like the double entendres and all of, like the wordplay with humor, like that's because of the, the, the way that this film is shot, obviously when one take, in one take, no cutting, all one location, like Hitchcock doesn't have the ability to go to different locations and film different ideas to create this layer of subtext. So what he does is he uses dialogue and he does it in a double entendre kind of way to kind of bring emphasis and like shine flashlights on certain areas of the script. And could it have been more effective if it was in a different, like a different location, possibly, but I think ultimately the suspense would have not been sustained like it is in this film. Is it the humor a little bit gimmicky at times? Yeah, probably a little bit, but I think ultimately it serves the film and ends up being I, I, uh, you know, why it works. Walk away from this movie thinking about how funny it was. Like, I mean, there, uh, Hitchcock always has a few kind of zingers. I'm not saying it was a, a knee slapper. I'm just saying the comedy's there and it works. On the topic of comedy, I don't really necessarily think that the comedy that I was getting from this movie was the, uh, was the comedy intended. It was kind of like hysterical how over the top those two characters are. See, it's interesting because we watch a movie like this now and we're like, geez, I wonder if they knew back then, like... It's so subtle. It's kind of sad that something way back could like, hurt you at the box office because of people's prejudices. Because it would have made it way more like interesting film had they like pushed that even further, I think. But let me ask you though, like, does it really make the movie better that they're gay? I don't know that it makes they're it more gay, but it makes it more interesting that they're... Uh, that there's more to But I mean, you can make that argument for anything, really. Like, uh, how many takes were there in Rope? Takes or cuts? Uh, like, segments. I think segments of film. There was, like Hitchcock said, there was like eight or nine. I would guess, yeah. I think back then a film reel would hold like 10 minutes or so of film. So I guess he, he reshot the entire. 50, last 50 minutes of the film because he didn't like the lighting for like the sunset. Yeah. So they redid the entire last 15 minutes. Uh, but the cuts would still be the same. So yeah, presumably. So. Presumably, yeah. Okay, so we get, I guess, eight and eight. Uh, 10. Actually, because yeah. he does cut, he does actually cut once or twice. Yeah. There's and they're not all 10 minutes similar. either. I mean, the longest take is 10 minutes and six seconds, but he has uh, one take that's four minutes. Um, you know, For several sure. that are yeah, seven minutes. So, it, I mean, it, it is impressive. Yeah. I mean, and, and here's the thing: you have to imagine it's that. So impressive. That background. Here, how fun is that background? Honestly, that background is really cool because it makes it like it. The film almost feels like it takes place in real time and takes place over several hours. Well, it, it, it does take like a place to, time. The movie. Does. I know, yeah. but like with the with the way they progress the light, it almost feels like it's. Like several hours compressed into eighty minutes somehow. Yeah, it's, it's like cool in terms of like the how fast the sun sets and everything. Yeah, that's true a little bit. Yeah, but like it's. I'm saying it's a good thing. I, I like that it can it's do. It's such both. an impressive feat technically. Like it's such a subtle effect, but it makes the entire film like shine. This little subtle effect 
they do in the background of the film and the way the clouds are just shifting all across the skyline and they're made of like this silk like spider web material so it almost had it almost looks real like really even when i'm watching it on my 4k blu-ray tv like i mean the shit still looks real almost like it's amazing all right do you want to so hear technical serious hate for rope and what? To have, you know what i like it more than apparently roger ebert did because roger ebert in 1984 called rope an experiment that did not work out uh, and that he was happy to see it kept out of release for three decades. Uh, you know, and it kind of makes me happy to think that we live in a world where we can actually watch these movies so easily because, like, you, you know. throw it on in your basement? Oh, like, yeah. Oh, like, yeah, instead for sure. of We're spoiled. Going to, like, New York and, like, having to, like, wait. Oh, it's just incredible. I think that there's a lot of that That's going shade. around post with this film was that, like, that was the shade that was thrown into this film, that it was just a gimmick. And I think that you can say it that is, about this right. film because it is such a it is such a, a singular thing in and of itself right like there's more recently 1917 right another fantastic film ultimately i think not uh, for I mean, the probably, for the reason that it's one take no not because I mean, it's, not just, it's one take but you cannot deny the the skill and artistry that goes into a movie like that when it when you're trying to take undertake that feat it's so difficult. It's so fucking It's very cool. And it makes it worth watching. It puts it into like, it's it's cool. It makes it worth watching. It puts it in the top 10 for Hitchcock, but I don't know how high it can go. Like if, if this would just, just cut think... traditionally and instead he cut, like if he did a single take for, I don't know, Dial M for Murder or something, we'd probably be talking about Dial M for Murder today. Yeah, it's quite possible. But at the same time, I think that not only does he do, like he achieves like uh, an interesting story, that you, uh, I agree that the characters aren't like amazing, but to be fair, Hitchcock's characters are never like astounding. It's all about the acting. It's not about the depth of the character or how what you feel about them or their their historical subtext and things like that. Like it's not it's just not the way Hitchcock characters work, right? And I think on the service level, it's all about the acting Hitchcock films. And I think that this movie does extremely well. I think John Thal is um, as Brandon is is pretty damn good like i honestly didn't remember him that much until i rewatched this film but like he's like he's almost like uh an early joseph cotton in the shadows of a doubt like his character is always like he looks similar and there's like this air air of like arrogance he has and a, like way that. more punchable face than joseph cotton oh, yeah for sure he's a little prick but he's supposed to be this little prep school mm -hmm. prick this is a strange situation because rope is like a theatrical performance on a stage probably literally a stage uh with different rooms and there's an opening for the camera to move around. Uh, but the acting reflects what is really like a stage performance. So they're overacting to, to, for the people in the, you know, the, the nose well, section. And so like, here's it's so over the top, man. It, here's the thing it, about that. It's because they can't go in for a close-up, right? And the actors have to overcompensate because they can't go in for a close-up like he does in a normal cutting film where you would cut for your close-up like Hitchcock does. He can't do that as easily here. He can't throw it all off just to go in for a, a zoom problem, that's maybe then, unnecessary. Though. I don't, yes, I understand that that is something that might limit the film a bit, but I don't think at any point it limits it to me. Like I never at one point and, and I'm not talking. Like, I'm not talking about that, Sean. I'm here. not talking about the the close-ups and, and trying to capture the emotions of people's eyes. I'm talking about Philip, based on these two character dynamics, that it's the subordinate one that actually does the murder, and the dominant one that doesn't. He, I don't know if <laughs> he's so over the top, man. This movie, oh. God. You think Philip? You think Philip is over the top in this film? I think, uh, I think Philip 
is consistently over the top. I think James Stewart in his little uh, speech was over the top. I think that uh, uh, Brandon's facial, uh, facial expressions in this movie are quite hilarious because like he has these eyebrows that like <laughs> when he's like, and it, it's intentional. Like he, it's probably to your point, Sean, that like he is needing to kind of communicate that in the background and, and there isn't room to have that close up, but like, I understand. I understand what you're saying because it does like it doesn't like play like your normal film, and so like those levels of theatricality are heightened. But I mean, to me, I honestly it does not detract to me at all from whatsoever in the film. But maybe I can admit that I could be in the minority there. Would you say maybe it's kind of like a it's a it's a technical idiocracy or a technical idiosyncrasy that I it's, think it's, it's like it's kind of like sometimes it's it's like trying to reach an audience that's far away, and other times it's not. And sometimes they're just well, kind of yeah. carrying on, and um, you know, it's a, it's it's a technique just, that actors use the when they're they in act, the theater yeah. because they. It's, I mean, theatrical actors obviously they don't have cameras at all, so you need to perform much bigger so that someone in the back rows can see you perform right. perform your role. Mm -hmm. Now, this state, this it does kind of apply in this film because a lot of the acting is going on in the background because again they can't cut to these people Only and show the these thing, little Sean, moments of what they're the feeling. The cameras in the front row. So there's no need to do all that crazy shit into the background. That is true. Um, yeah, but no, I, I understand that criticism of the film. Uh, I think you guys have made that quite, quite clear. <laughs> I understand it, and I, I don't, uh, I don't agree, but I can understand why that is a. Uh, uh, I do like the way he uses like the neon signs once it gets dark outside. The way you get like that red and green. I think yeah, that's, that's film cool. is is one of my absolute favorite movies of Hitchcock to just watch, and I mean that literally. <sighs> No, no, I'm just saying that literally. How like, I think it looks so Why don't you do that for number one then, Sean? <laughs> I just said it's one of my favorites. It was one of my three choices. So come on, what do you well, want from I, me? I'd like, say for Sean, like, and we'll get into this later, but I this is a cool movie to watch for the technical achievement. Yeah, that's it. But like, and that's, and that's my else, question though. to you guys is, can you think of another Hitchcock film that you think rivals this in a technical achievement? Can I say one I wouldn't thing? have said yeah. it before this podcast, but having watching them both close together, I would say Foreign Correspondent and some of the set pieces in that movie. I can't. Yeah, we're talking. The, the big a plane crash is huge. The big plane oh, man. is huge. The that chase, plane. The There's that yeah. one sequence. Yeah, that's but it. But you know this what, though? That, movie nothing comes that. close to that. It's not close. It's not even close. What? It's oh. not even close between Foreign Correspondent and this in terms of technical achievement. There are there is a one good sequence that he spent you know maybe okay a no, week no 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 okay okay let be okay not even no, like back then he would have okay, spent Sean? a day well, let's save this to the apples and oranges I feel like we have an international movie it. and then you have a movie that takes place in a room and you're comparing the two that's insane what then how are we gonna, like what what are you talking about they're two different movies just because one of them takes place in one location the other takes place in a little bit of a globetrotting adventure doesn't necessarily mean automatically that the globetrotting one well is no it, what i'm saying it's difficult to it's difficult to compare raiders of the lost ark to my dinner with andre <laughs> unfortunately that's what we have to do on because podcast. one of those films was directed by steven spielberg the other's directed by who like fucking Goddamn. Uh, See, Sean was about to impress us if he know. was able to remember the director. It was, it was like the same guy who did When Harry Met Sally, was it not? And uh, Rob, Rob Reiner. Reiner? You can't 
say this movie is in, inferior to Performer Correspondent because it takes place in one location. Like, I'm sorry, that doesn't No, lie. I think it's, you, the argument is saying. that this film That's stands out like as a huge 80-minute set piece. And then the question is, is it as a one long set piece cooler than set pieces in? Yeah, because you could make that argument with every Hitchcock movie. They're just made differently. You know, Hitchcock only made rope in that way. Like, I, that wasn't like a trend of his. Right? It, it was a one-off. No. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, was it more effective it, than the other ways that he would tell a story? And I would say it wasn't because he didn't do that again. So it was kind of like an experiment. Maybe it didn't work. And maybe he found that in subsequent movies, it was in his interest as a storyteller to um, not be limited in that way because he didn't need to be. It was an interesting idea. It's freaking awesome that he did it, but it doesn't make a better movie that's more or less my point is what you're saying like i don't disagree with what you're saying in theory like do i think that it was a practical way to make a movie or every movie absolutely fucking not it's not I, in fact that's what i've been saying like this movie is so difficult to underachieve and to accomplish the windmill this sequencing movie- foreign correspondent is cut traditionally and i find that more suspenseful than this film here you have it Sean. same with notorious i, I find I, I find the wine bottle wine cellar sequence more notorious more Suspenseful. More notorious. More notorious. No, I definitely don't agree with that. Like I that like there was nothing at all suspenseful to me in notorious. And like this film to me is like more suspenseful than anything we've watched in any of the like other movies I we've watched think so, so far. Because all you're watching this movie for is to watch two guys that you want to get caught waiting to get caught. Like there's no real threat of violence yeah, really a little bit with the gun so unlikable Sean. i'm never afraid for jimmy stewart I, i'm never afraid for you know what's the funniest I, thing can i say well, sorry uh, tyler i know that we shouldn't be cutting each other off no go ahead so funny you've twisted my words around when i said that it was okay to kill people you twisted it you made it into something awful uh, killing is, is weaker people but look what you did it was the stupidest thing i've ever heard and laughable that was another thing that i was laughing at I'm uh-huh. like you sound like a neo-nazi james stewart and it sounds like he did exactly what you were talking about and i don't know it's like <laughs> you guys are just laughing at like the concept of what like the nietzschean like and I mean, like, yeah, they do a piss poor job of like just generalizing the goddamn thing. But I don't know, man. Like, what I don't, I don't find me? that humorous. I actually like the, like, I don't like the idea. What it stands for. I like the addition of it being used in this film in that sense. But I don't obviously agree with it. What Nietzsche? No, I'm not the way that they use it in this film. Like from like the Rupert Fellow as like a teacher that taught Nietzsche and then the children. Yeah, but it's like a misunderstood the. They never explain why they think they're superior to David. Like they're from the same social class, presumably, and they went to the same. I understood it to be like an intellectual thing, especially because they put him in a case where they took all the books out and shit. Yeah, but like you know, just because you're the same school doesn't mean you're all on the same level of intelligence. Yeah, and they really show off how smart they are by how they react at that uh, party and. All right, you know what? It's okay, Hitchcock, uh, Patricia Hitchcock, listen to me. If, are you? Is she still alive? I think she's one of our listeners, actually. All right, Patricia, talk to me, babe. This is what happens. Okay, rope two, ropes. I did find Philip's uh, reaction to, th- to things very convenient in this movie. Like he's freaking out, and then oh the dinner gosh. party, he's like yeah. calm and joking around, and then he's stressed out about a chicken story, and then he's calm again, and. Yeah, he's definitely was, like the like the most like 
<laughs> ridiculous character in the film. Yeah, sure, I like yeah. I like the idea of showing like the two sides of murder, like the gleeful Brandon and the guilty uh, Philip, but Philip is yeah. just too inconsistent. Well, and that's to say because if they're so oh, smart, then what are they doing? Guilty the entire time. They're not even in control of like their. Like, Philip's like it's like there's rope around the books where I was like, <gasps> like like he's like staring at it. And he's like oh, and then Jimmy Stewart's like, what's wrong with those? That rope, Philip. There's nothing wrong with the rope. I, 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 why do you keep talking about the rope? Like it, it's just like okay, Jesus Christ, you know. Chris, we might not need uh, movie clips this episode because your impression. Just <laughs> Apparently, we do not at all. So just don't even, don't even <laughs> lean on. Chris those, House just, uh, and Dollar House. <laughs> what gives you the right to kill a man? <laughs> That's pretty good. Right. Now do it like uh, Ari Aster. <laughs> I got a uh, maybe a small point, maybe a big point that I thought was silly. They like they show them at the beginning cleaning off the glasses to like wipe it down for fingerprints. It's fine, Crystal. After they kill him, but then they keep the gloves and they don't bother getting rid of his hat and they give away the rope. Like these guys are just shit murderers. For people trying to pull off the perfect crime, they keep a lot of evidence around. Well, the entire point of their dinner party is to get caught, isn't it? In a sense, like I mean, no, their it's their hubris. In a way. They, they want yeah, exactly. It's their hubris, artistic like, thing that they just they left these things behind purposefully, even though it is stupid of them and hubristic of them to have done so. But like that is kind of like the point of it, and that's like what these stories are—they're morality tales, right? And you heighten them in these sense, and you guys are joking about them and laughing about them. And that's fine. So it wait, we shouldn't. Why why I'm just it's saying, funny. if you're going to leave all that evidence behind, why bother wiping down the glasses if you're going to keep the guy's hat in your closet? Like, they what? I because they probably be, honestly because the actors wanted something busy to do while they're doing yeah. their scene, probably. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it is what it is. But like, I don't think that really like the fact that they're rubbing. You know what? I think uh, I'll like, just take Sean's review right there. It is what it is. Uh, Tyler, we <laughs> no, well, have got to move on. Uh, we are at stage four. Stage four of Rope. Uh, next week we are looking at Ropes, the sequel to Rope. I believe there are Did two in this one, and somehow they connect at the end. I don't want to give any spoilers away. Uh, Tyler, or, or wait, are we on to the bad stuff now? Can I talk? I think we've, we've been in the bad we've stuff. We've been a while. to the bad stuff for a while. Why don't oh, we oh okay, <laughs> here we go. When it's product. <laughs> Uh, Chris, you just gave like a five minute eulogy reenacting parts about the bad stuff. Like, don't give me like the shit of like you've got more to give. Like, get the fuck out of here, bro. Hey, for Sean, the record, I, I just got started, babe. For the record, I've covered all of my yeah. bad things. Yeah, like, okay. no, nah, this is like, let's just go on and okay, so we apparently know where this film's gonna get, and that's fine. You know what like, the I worst thing about it though is, Sean? Like, out of your it's minds, the, but that's fine. The worst thing? What? What's the worst thing, Chris? Tell me, where Vertigo is actually going to end up one day? Or, or like, no, where this Sean, is going to end up? don't bring in Vertigo. The one thing about this movie that was truly... Oh, Vertigo, believe me. It was going to go bad before, but now it's going to go real bad. Oh, I bet you. <laughs> We're just, just going to, like, bomb what? each other's shit. Unlike like you, yeah, Sean, I'm going to do my be. homework, and I'm going to be ready for you, babe. Because I'm going <laughs> to wear my night goggles. No, no, you guys can put like a film that's ranked eight, like a full five points better on IMDb than like underneath a film that's ranked 7.5. Yeah, go ahead. Are we go just ahead. going off IMDb now? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's generally I want to revisit Irishmen in that case, and I want to remind no, no. everybody where Psycho stands when we get there. First of all, most films don't get ranked, so let's get the fuck out of here. Hey, Sean, I'm outside your window. Yeah, you're always outside my window. Sean. I've never let you It doesn't work so well when we can see you on Zoom, Chris. <laughs> All right, All so right, let's talk so, about the negative things about this movie. No, yeah, let's just rant. Let's just rank them. Get the fuck out of here. The number one. Okay, so where does Tyler rope? All right, nineteen forty-eight film with. Jimmy Get the fuck out of here! What are you gonna rank it, Tyler? So just based on where does where, where are you putting it? Based on the three films we've watched so far, I'm going to say Brandon's a good villain, but Uncle Charlie and Sebastian are better. Uh, the story's okay, but Shadow of a Doubt and Notorious are better. The suspense is okay, but Shadow of a Doubt and Notorious and Foreign Correspondent are better. This film... Yeah, this is our fourth movie. This is our fourth movie. This film has a great set piece. The entire film acts as one huge 80-minute set piece, which is very cool. But if I'm just watching it for set pieces, I'm going to go even Foreign Correspondent above it. And that's not to say it's not a cool achievement. I can't fathom that decision. Like, that movie is just too, like, one literal short, like, cutaway scene of, like, the screen blowing up. No, there's that. There's the windmill scene is more suspenseful. The umbrella scene is better directed. Speech is better. This entire film, all my Speech is better. I'm just saying, I don't think the story in either of those movies, to be fair, is great. So I'm taking it. I'm going to watch either of those films just for the second. Hey, you're not making any... Friends right now, by the way. So I'm let's sorry. just be really careful. What I'm saying right is if I'm watching either of those films, I'm gonna watch it just for the set pieces of it. And I think Foreign Correspondent are better. So that's why the rope has to go to the bottom of the list for now. I, I do not understand that. But all right, Chris. Oh Sean, where <laughs> uh where do you stand with it? I would honestly put rope number one above all the films we've watched so far, but that's not obviously happening. So well, I'm gonna well, give where do you, you put Chris. it, Sean? No, I just told you where I would put it. But number one. It's up to you. Yeah, I would first, put it number one. First I think this is... film is, I like. I think this film is far superior. Well, maybe not far superior, but it's like the only close film to this is, is Notorious and Shadow of a Doubt. Like they're like almost as good as Rope, but they're not quite as good as Rope. I almost want to fuck and everything up. Porn Correspondent so. <laughs> is like, Porn Correspondent is a, like way below these films. So, right, Sean, you know what? You know what's so funny just now? I was almost thinking I could just fuck everything up and agree with you, Sean. And no, you weren't say that. that. Like, last little that. listen, Chris. Before before you make your decision, I've I've said it goes last. Sean said it goes number one. So, in the words of Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. It's up to you to decide. I'm remembering a lot of things from earlier in the episode. I'm remembering a lot of ropes. I'm remembering a lot of homosexual subtext. <laughs> Trying to remember. Negative. <sighs> well, the ropes. I was never allowed to watch movies with ropes as a kid. So this was really refreshing to me just to be reminded of like what what do ropes mean to you, to me? Your parents wouldn't let you um, your parents were ropists? Ropes always left a better taste in my mouth for obvious reasons. And uh, this movie's no exception. It's the worst movie ever made. Um, <laughs> easily so just I don't use the word embarrassing too much when I'm talking about Hitchcock, but the closest thing to World War II in terms of devastating. Closer than actual Sheer World War II. raised ground. Yeah, just terrible. Scorched earth. Fucking awful. Yeah. 
I feel like scorched earth has more productivity because of its probably the nutrients and nitrogen, you know, it offers the soil. So yeah. I would say just that pure horse shit laying on the ground. Well, yeah. no, because but there's nutrients big, in the horse yeah. shit as well. I say that this uh, is something yeah. even. Uh, this is just like a rock in the middle of a field. Does foreign not... correspondent is a piece of shit. All Get right. the fuck out of here. I am choosing foreign correspondent over rope. Yeah, y'all. <laughs> Whenever Chris does a list on how foreign correspondent is number one on the fucking list, like it always shows shoots back. Still to the is in my book. Nah, it's a goddamn piece of shit. I I I feel bad about any nice thing I said about foreign correspondent like three weeks ago. Oh, but I'm so I was glad trying that we got to that out nice of the way first. Yeah. Oh, and Sean, guess what? This is just the beginning, by the way, because this nightmare never ends. Sean's nightmare may continue, Chris. What are we doing? Oh, Sean's Sean, we are just getting started. Sean, what what movie are we looking at uh, next week? That would be Strangers on a Train. Ooh. Strangers on a Train, gotta have it. Sean, can you please tell us the order of films that we have going so far? You can go fuck yourself, Chris. If you want to do that, you can go ahead and do it yourself. Right. Number one, we have Foreign Correspondent, 1940. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we will issue a correction episode very soon. Right. I believe number one is Notorious. Number two, Shadow of a Doubt. Number three, we have Rope. And number four, no, number three, we have Foreign Correspondent. And then number four, we have Rope. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you got it right the first time, but yeah. no, no. Now, apparently, uh, you insane motherfuckers have agreed on this order somehow. <laughs> yeah, like insane, insane. It but all right, feels so good, it feels Sean. like a goddamn sabotage. It but all right, yeah, we'll go so with that. Yeah. Uh, speak, if you if Hitchcock shot sabotage as a single take, would you like it more than rope? The music video of sabotage. I have to go back and rewatch the story. <laughs> music but. video sabotage. Yeah. Uh, you know what's actually a great movie I was watching the other day was Saboteur. It was so much better than this. And you know what's an unfortunate thing is I saw Saboteur right after Rope. So there was like an immediate comparison. I should have picked Saboteur, man. Uh, Even the title sequence with like the, the shadow man getting bigger. What about you, Sean? I enjoy the Sean doesn't like care about this or anything else because he's a loser. Oh, uh, tune in next week when we look at Strangers on a Train. You're a fucking ass. So long, suckers. Peace.